What up, though? Welcome to Fat Boy MMA Podcast. This is where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the home for you. So sit back, relax, grab a beverage, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me a lot. Hey, how's it going, everyone? So on today's podcast, we got two special things going on. For one, we happen to be in the house, the world famous studio of the world famous podcast. Say hello to the bad guy. So we're doing this on location. And if you don't know, of course, Locke is the host of Say Hello to the Bad Guy. So we have that going on. But also from Say Hello to the Bad Guy, we have one of the premier voices on Say Hello to the Bad Guy. As a special guest in the studio, we have Bugs here. What's up, guys? <laughs> Man, real quick, Locke, mm-hmm. you need to take some uh, introduction notes because <laughs> DC really made me feel special over here. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> I felt it, and then I looked over at you, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, he likes this introduction. He didn't even know what to say. He had to what? He had to one the glory tear. He had to uh-huh. that one tear. One, one slowly rolling down the cheek. So, we got a great podcast for you here today. Got a great one. We got a great one today. So, um, just recently, uh, we had UFC 269, at which uh, the main event and the co-main event was Dustin Portier versus uh, Charles Oliveira and Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. And so that was a, a pretty pretty significant event. And, um, of course, uh, I guess you could say both fights were an upset because both of the underdogs won. But I really would question as to why one of them were an underdog. But I wanted to talk kind of generally around this topic, the fight, the fights themselves, the individuals, kind of what came out of that. And I want to start off with the Nunez-Pena fight because I think that was the biggest upset of them. Yeah. And some people are even calling that as the biggest upset in MMA all-time history. So my first question is, both Bugs and Locke, did you see that coming? Since you are the special guest today, Bugs, I'll throw that over to you first. Did you see that coming at all? Well, this one I was excited to talk about. So that's why when uh, you invited me on, I I was ready. Um, previously, before the fights, I had a conversation with Locke. Because uh, while I was out in school, uh, a couple of friends of ours, we planned on getting together to watch it. And my first thoughts was, this is going to be a tough fight for Nunez. And, uh, you know, after long discussion, we Locke was like, uh, nah, no, nah, Pena, Pena's mm-hmm. overrated. It's not, it's, it's not going to be like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when I was watching that fight and Pena's, you, there was a couple times, uh, it was thought Pena wouldn't be able to strike with her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she started throwing some hands and it looked like she got rocked a couple times. Yeah. But, uh, when Pena submitted her. I was in awe. Like, I was in shock. Because <laughs> I knew it was going to be a tough fight. I didn't. I wasn't giving it to Pena. Mm-hmm. But that was out of left field. And it didn't look, it didn't even look like it was under the neck. So maybe uh, Nunez just kind of gave up on it. But it was a big shock to me. 
it was hard to tell whether it's under the neck or right on the chin. I do know you get taps to both, right. but to your point, I'm not sure that it was under the neck. Even when I re-watched yep. it, it was kind of hard to tell. What, did, well, what was your opinion? Oh, go ahead. In, uh, in that situation, you know, if you're – Nunez never been in a really fight like that before, so if you're she's getting rocked and she's overwhelmed, that little bit of panic can take over, and that's probably what had happened. Definitely. I, I like that in his summation, he leads by throwing me under the bus yeah, at the beginning. Well, he didn't just throw you under the bus. He ran over you, and then he put it in reverse and then went back over it, just so you know. Right. So <laughs> so clearly I made a bad pick on this one. Um, but I am a bigger Nunez fan than you, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of seen her as the greatest female fighter of all time. And – I get that Juliana Pena is a good fighter. Mm-hmm. So when I say I'm not a huge fan, I, I understand that she's a top band and weight. Yes. I just didn't think she was even in the caliber of Nunez. And I almost thought it was kind of just, uh, we got to give her somebody. Mm-hmm. It's the best contender out there. And, and I really thought it was kind of a layup defense for her. Clearly I was wrong. Yeah. Um, But it, it didn't work out that way. And I know some people are saying it's the like biggest upset ever which it could be but i think legit statistically when you look at betting odds it's undoubtedly like the top three mm-hmm. or something like that yeah, so right. it's a ridiculous um you know r- ridiculous upset but with the choke i don't think it was under the neck i think it might have been on the jaw um but we've seen that with connor you know if you yeah. got the wrong person on top of you that's just got that grip and yep it's easy for us to sit here and say, and I know it's not, we all understand, mm-hmm. you know, the situation, but that snap jaw, that could be a problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'd almost <laughs> rather get choked out than get my jaw brutally snapped by Juliana Pena, you know, right. so that's a, that's a painful situation to be in. And especially if you maybe underestimated, maybe it wasn't your day, just something wasn't clicking, mm-hmm. especially if you got clipped and you got some blood in your nose, yep. even if it's it not can. in the neck. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Cause then you can't really breathe out of your mouth the way you can. You can't breathe out of your nose. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and if you're already tired, right. It's a big factor. So yeah, if that's going on, whether it's on your neck or not, if you can't, open your mouth then you're you're as choked as if it was on your neck so and i know that's a blood choke but you know yeah just saying so my my opinion on it um one similar to you like i really didn't give juliana a big chance until i saw them at the weigh-ins i didn't realize juliana was that big mm-hmm. she might have been bigger than nunez in that fight Especially if you look at after they rehydrated when they met in the middle of the ring. So originally I was picking Nunes for easy victory. Right. When I was watching the fight and I was watching the fight with uh, with Doc, I ended up telling him before the fight, I said, I watched the weigh-ins last night. Juliana looks really big. Plus, the way that she throws her punches are very unorthodox, and I think she can catch Nunez in this fight. And so let me explain the punches. The way that she throws her punches is really weird. Her punches come up almost like she's about to throw a hook, but then she pushes them out straight. So normally if you were going to throw a jab or something like that, it would come 
with your arm down and it would chamber and come out. Correct. Hers come up like this and then she'll throw it and make it a straight punch. And what that was doing, that was coming right under or right over kind of that overhand left that Nunez likes to throw. And then she was getting in with the jab first and then throwing that right that came from a weird angle over, right? And I think that's what really did it. But more important than that, something happened that has happened in every Nunez loss. And I think anybody that goes and watch it knows that this is now the formula to beat Nunez. I'm unaware of this, so I'm excited. Anybody who makes Nunez grapple in the first two rounds has beat her every time I've seen it. Kat Zingano, uh, uh, what's her name, the wrestler, um, Alexis Davis. Uh, I went back and watched a fight uh, that I'd never seen before this, and it was in Invicta when she fought a lady named Sarah Dialejo. I may be mispronouncing the name. But um, the same thing, she came out and right away start grappling. And what it seems like because, and this is my knock on Amanda Nunes. One, of course, you know, I don't have her as number one. She's always been number two to me. But number two is very high. Mm-hmm. I put her in a high regard. Right. But I don't think skill-wise she's that good or that technical. But I think she's always over to, able to overpower people, so it makes up for her lack in skill. Right. When you go out and make her grapple in those first two rounds, she doesn't have the same hands or power. And now you can either catch her or put her back on the ground and finish her on the ground. And so if you look at that, Kat Zingano finished her on the ground. Alexis Davis finished her on the ground. Sarah, and I I don't remember her, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name correctly, so I apologize and I won't butcher it again. But they went to a decision, but right from point one, she went out and grappled her. And then what happened in this Juliana Pena fight? She should have let Juliana Pena up when she heard her. She heard her twice that dropped her. One was with a kick, and I believe the other one was initially started with a kick, but then she caught her with a punch. But she immediately went to the ground with her. One, Pena's dangerous on the ground, so don't do that. Two, if you're getting the best of somebody on the feet, leave it on the feet. What are your thoughts on that? I I I agree with you. So, Nunez, like you said, she's very powerful. And even though she's not the most technical fighter, she fights very well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of times, a lot of people are going to come in there and they're like, well, no, I'm going to win and it's going to be a spectacular win and I'm going to beat her on the feet. Like, mm-hmm. they want to, you know, you're playing to her strengths. Right. So, even if you're, like, Pena is very dangerous on the ground. I haven't watched mo- much of her fights, but I know a, a little bit about her. But uh, I felt like she held her own while she's standing up with Nunez. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, bringing it to the ground and being able to finish down there, that's that's where you're comfortable. Keep it home. So I think uh, it just went worked well in her favor, and uh, you definitely found Nunez's weakness for sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting, especially I think that they're making a number two already, so it'd be right. interesting how that go. What do you think, Lock? So I also thought I seen an answer to the riddle mm-hmm. of Nunez that people could implement moving forward. 
I thought it was a little different. I'm not disagreeing with what you say. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's just not what I had picked up or thought about. So Mm -hmm. what I was thinking is if you look at a lot of Pena's signature wins against the the higher level opponents, um, we look at like Holly Holm, Cyborg, they Mm -hmm. kind of played her game where they kind of bounced on the outside of the pocket and that's the worst place to trade with her and you see even when Pena tried to do that Nunez can clip her so she likes to throw those wild haymakers you Mm -hmm. know and if you play that game she will clip you Mm -hmm. when Pena started getting more successful also it was with the grappling but she started moving forward with her punches Mm -hmm. and we've seen that with a lot of fighters uh Cowboy Cerrone doesn't do well if you do it Conor McGregor there's just certain fighters that don't like being walked down mm-hmm. and i think we now know that nunez might be one of those people and if you look like raquel pennington was that kind of fighter but she's not in that same kind of uh category right uh, you, you know she mm-hmm. even though she implements that style she i just don't think she's high enough caliber to beat nunez mm-hmm. but she also didn't mix in the grappling that's not in her style right so I originally thought, okay, walking him down works. It didn't work for Raquel Pennington because maybe just Rocky just didn't have it. But that's probably actually what it was, walk her down and she didn't implement the grappling. So if you can get in her face and grapple her a little bit, mm-hmm. that's just not a style that she's into, which is ridiculous. She's a jujitsu uh, black belt, but at the highest level, most of them are. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. I, I would agree with what you said. The issue is... The mentality of the person that's going to go in there and decide that they're going to walk Nunez down is also the person that's likely to go in there and brawl and trade. So if we look at the Chris Cyborg fight, Chris Cyborg came out and did just that, got in Nunez's face. And if you remember, she hurt Nunez twice Mm -hmm. before she got knocked out. Nunez is kind of old school Brazilian jiu-jitsu brawler when it comes to that. Think Vanderlei Silva. If she gets hurt with a punch and she has any wits about her, she's throwing a hard shot, multiple of them after that. Mm -hmm. She's not going to fold up just because you hit her hard, right? She tends to fold up when she gasses. Mm -hmm. She gasses when they make her grapple. So in that Cyborg fight, Cyborg hurt her twice. She ended up back against the gate. Cyborg came in real strong and started throwing wild punches. Nunez still have that, you know, almost you got to be born with knockout power. Mm -hmm. And she hit and hurt Cyborg. Cyborg being the same type of fighter that says, if you hurt me, I'm going to throw punches. Tried to throw again. But then the accuracy, which is a lot more accurate than Cyborg, that Nunez had all of a sudden came back. And landed like two as as Cyborg was going back against the gate. And as we know, that was all she wrote. So I would agree with you. I don't think she liked going back. And I think you can hurt her going backwards. The issue is, what do you do from that point, especially if she's not tired yet and has full power? And the grappling, I think the key thing to that, that, your whole piece with the grappling is it just takes that little bit of sting off that punch. You know, mm-hmm. when she's winging that that big overhand left, you know, big punches, mm-hmm. that little extra sting, that's, you know, a running back that loses a step. Right. Well, you know, pre-ACL, you hit that hole and you were gone. Mm-hmm. Now, point 
you know, two tenths of a second off. And now that hole's gone Correct. and all of a sudden you're cut and you're playing for four teams in four years. Well, that's kind of her punch. You take just that little bit off because you've had to grapple. Mm-hmm. That's the difference maker we'll see in that situation. Pena also survived uh, Nunez grappling because there's a point where Nunez was on top and she's dominant and stuff. Mm-hmm. But because she wasn't able to get her out of there, that, like you said, that's draining. So mm-hmm. not only did Pena do a good job grappling defense, but when it was her turn, she made it. She capitalized. Yeah. And I think we can't we also have to include that clearly Pena is just fucking like hard as fucking granite. Yeah. Like she's this tough is a tough well. chick. Sure. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. fucking she took a beating. A lot of a lot of female fighters we've seen, or, or a lot of fighters, period, mm-hmm. quit in, in situations that she was in. She took yes. some lumps and a lot of people fold up and say, Fuck. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, she hits hard. Holy shit, this ain't going well. And, yeah, she was fucking pretty tough to focus up, dial back in, and implement a game plan when a lot of people go into panic mode. Plus, you know, in her victory speech, she quoted the great philosopher uh, Nate Diaz. (laughs) I'm not surprised, motherfuckers, right? (laughs) So, so, but... um, Uh, Possibly one of my favorite moments of... Like MMA this year, I would mm-hmm. say, and I was shocked. I I, I didn't pick any fights right. Mm-hmm. Like I I was terrible the whole card. <laughs> any any bets I ever recommend to you, do not take it. Do not listen to my advice. I'm Bet terrible. the opposite. Yeah, I'm bad at picking <laughs> fights. But even though the the night wasn't going how I expected, my fighters weren't winning. When she said, "I'm not surprised, motherfucker." I was on board. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck yeah, Juliana. You know, that's how that's how you win me back. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, too. They, they said they're going to run, UFC said they're going to run that fight back. I'm glad to see that because, as we know, there's been times in the past where you've had a longtime UFC champion, and they did not allow them to have an immediate rematch. Right. In my opinion, if you've defended at least four times your title, and I don't know four doesn't sound like a lot, but to me, that's enough for an immediate when rematch. You're, when you're defending it against the number one contender, right. yeah, I'll get that's elite level. Exactly. And so I'm glad that this happened because we've seen in the past on multiple occasions, especially in the women's division, doesn't seem like an immediate rematch when you you know you go out there and you have a title and you defend it a few times and everything like that so i feel like they kind of i feel like they have to though like i i'm glad they're doing it as well but with how big of nunez and unstoppable how nunez has been lately like Mm -hmm. is it just a fluke like they want to get them back in there as soon as possible and we'll see if pena can do it again yeah no i i agree Um, i i think i think the important thing is is we could figure out a lot of reasons why it makes sense to redo the rematch, but ultimately, it's because of the one reason that always influences Dana: money. Money. <laughs> that is going to be the fight they finally have since Ronda Rousey's been gone, mm-hmm. since Cyborg's been gone. They finally mm-hmm. have a female in the bigger division that they can really push a big money sale for because people were getting sick. Nobody wanted to see her fight Megan Anderson. Yeah. Like now. We know Megan Anderson, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, shit on her, but like casuals don't get that fight. Yeah. Like that's not just not, not a big fight. Uh, before that was Felicia Spencer. 
Yeah. That's a hard fight to and sell. If I'm not mistaken, they brought Felicia Spencer in for that fight. Mm-hmm. I think that was her first UFC fight, if I'm not. I could be wrong, but I think that was her first UFC fight. I think she was over, I don't know if it was Invicta, but I think she was somewhere else, and they brought her in because it really wasn't. Because after she beat Cyborg, they were out of featherweights. Yeah, like, so they're like, we'll just give do? us one. <laughs> Wasn't just uh, throwing anybody in the cage yeah. with a person at that level. That's recipe for disaster. Now, the only thing that I don't like about the rematch is they're not giving the best number one champion a chance <laughs> to go up and take that belt. But this goes back into skill, right? So Valentina Shevchenko, as I mentioned multiple times, when she was up at um, 35, she only fought bigger women. She might have fought one, you know, one person that was her size or smaller, some big girls up there. When 25 came, that was her regular weight class. She completely dominated. Now, she dominated at 35, too, because she beat everybody not named Nunez. But other than having the better striking it was a very tough fight, as we know, the two fights with her and Nunez. But guess who she has a victory over by submission at 135? Julie, well, Juliana Pena. Pena. <laughs> as, as soon, before you even got there. Yeah. As soon as, <laughs> as, soon as you... The best number one champion. As soon as you mentioned the best number one champion. <laughs> oh, now it all makes sense. So this whole time you've been so excited. Yes. So fucking excited. Yes. And it didn't click to me. And then now I realized it because Pena is a much better mashup for Valentina than Nunez. Yes, Yes, because Pena doesn't use her size the way that Nunez does. So now the superior striking can really come above. And I think she can take her down. There's a lot of things that she can do. But let me say something that. A lot of people may not know, and it's one of those things that you just have in your head, and you joke about stuff, and people have no idea what you're talking about. The reason why I call her the best number one champion is because when she was about to fight uh, Joanna, JJ, (laughs) when she was about to fight Joanna, they were having an argument, and of course, both of them, neither of them are native English speakers, right? It's a second language. Yes, it's a second language. So in their argument, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like how Khabib says, this is number one bullshit, right? <laughs> they kept saying who was the best number one champion. And I had never heard it put like that before. So from that point forward, I started calling her the best number one champion. So that's where that came from. And there's nothing more American than making fun of people yes. that are pl- pretty fluently speaking a second language. And you only speak one? <laughs> barely. We barely speak one fucking language. Okay. We bastardize some kind of language that we think yes. we know how to talk. Yes. And, uh, but yes, you make one mistake yeah. speaking this as, and some of these people, it's their second or third language. And yeah. Like, I think it's Valentina's third. Yeah. Yeah. Ha ha ha. But she said best number best one champion. Best number one champion. That's it. <laughs> Okay, anything else about anybody want to say anything else about Nunez or that fight or Pena before I switch over to the main event? Well, I just want to get kind of a quick idea where what your thoughts are on in that rematch because we see these go two different ways. Yes. So sometimes 
that that's the fight where Amanda Nunez, who's uh, a new parent, you know, is yes. newly married, has a family life, has been the champ for a long time. Sometimes this is the Rocky Three fight mm-hmm. that gets them refocused and recentered, and they come back ready to rip off another eight to ten straight fights. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the first fight, it's Frankie Edgar one, mm-hmm. where next thing you know, BJ's lost ten straight, and the the wheels are really falling off this thing. Right. So like. What is kind of your gauge on where Nunez goes from here? How do you think this is going to affect her long-term fighting? Great question. So uh, as soon as the fight happened, a lot of people start mentioning some of the stuff that you said. New parent, the whole thing. She had uh, their new baby at the weigh-in, you know, maybe not quite as focused. She got tired, everything like that. All of that's believable if I take away what I mentioned, I feel like is the equalizer. Mm -hmm. If Juliana Pena came into that fight and just beat her standing up on the feet and knocked her out, I buy all of that. Right. When I look at the history of how she loses, and it's funny because Kent Zingano after that tweeted out, and this is not a direct quote because I don't remember direct quote, the direct quote of it, but it was something like, no shit, if you take uh, Nunez into deep waters and make her tired, she'll quit. If you remember when Anthony Rumble Johnson was knocking everybody's head out of the cage mm-hmm. and DC said deep down inside of him, he's still a quitter because I remember way back when, when he get put in a bad situation on the ground, he would quit. That's still him. All I have to do is bring it out and remind him. When you're that kind of person, I don't think that's something you can just erase. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's a, that's a, um, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life type of issue. So the question becomes to me, can Nunez keep it on the feet and not grapple? If so, I think she got a path to victory because even though she was losing some of those exchanges, that was in the second round. In the first round, they were pretty even, and she was getting the better of some of those. It wasn't until after the grappling that ended the round, and you come out in the second, where you see a little bit of a different Amanda Nunes. If she keeps it on the feet, I think she can get her title back. If she has to grapple, I see it being the same fight. Nice. What about you, Bucks? Um... I don't know. I I really think I think it's gonna be the fight that Nunez like evaluates, comes back, gets back. Like, but obviously this is a pretty cool story, and it'd be interesting to see something kind of get switched up within the weight class. Mm-hmm. But I think Nunez is that powerful force. I think she's gonna come back. She's gonna work on her defense on the ground, stuff like that. And then, like you said, maybe she was just a little bit out of shape maybe her mind wasn't there she comes back a little bit more focused it will keep her from getting tired quicker mm-hmm. so i think uh this next fight it's going to be nunez but so best number 1 champ out we get the rematch <laughs> nunez is back in but now after so let's say whether however this goes if nunez wins does peña get valentina again or does valentina get the shot like well, where do where do you see that going? I don't think Valentina would move up. She's doing too good at 125, fighting girls her size. I think it would have to be something very enticing for her to move up. And so I think if there was a new champ there, 
they can convince her, especially with a few dollars, to move up and you know take that on. But so if now Nunez come back and win. I don't think anybody wants to see her versus Nunez three. I don't think it's going to be a new, a different fight. Okay. Now yeah. if uh if Pena wins, do you think that's something that can get her to jump up? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I I agree because I think if Pena wins, she's now the absolute champ. Mm-hmm. Um, Nunez is not completely out of the picture. Maybe she goes to forty five. Maybe you know you know what I mean. Either way, because she still she, has the belt up there. Right. She yeah. either way, she's a couple fights out of that bantamweight shot mm-hmm. again. I think that is a fight that sells. Pena will like it because she's already defended her belt once, and it's a big money fight for her. Mm-hmm. And then Valentina likes it because she knows that's a winnable fight. And then for the UFC, it works. It's a sellable fight. Plus, that gives them a little extra time to let the Bantamweight shake itself out with now some opportunities that they didn't have before because, you know, all these girls against Nunez again – is not interesting. Right. But we can roll anybody back out. Not anybody, but right. all these fights against Pena are all of a sudden interesting again. Well, yeah. kind of like how the the uh, women's class not too long ago, like Rousey was so dominant. But as mm-hmm. soon as, like, everybody's tired of Rousey fighting Tate. But as mm-hmm. soon as Holmes got it, Holmes defended it against Tate and Tate took it. Like, it, mm-hmm. this could be something that if Pena wins, which is a good story, mm-hmm. but it could mix up a lot for the whole women's fighting like as a whole but if Nunez wins which i think is going to happen mm-hmm. it's just going to be the same thing no i i agree and even at that fight if you if if everybody remember they had and i i don't remember if i mentioned this on the last podcast we did lock or if i put it in a fight group but uh Kayla Harrington was at that fight mm-hmm. and they kept showing her and i think i had mentioned I heard that there were talks about the UFC trying to get her and sign her. She's like, uh, she's actually bigger than Nunez. She's like the 155 champ, I believe, over in IFL. Okay. So I doubt they were bringing her in for 35. My guess is, had Nunez defended here, her next fight was going to be at 45 to defend that title. So to your point, even if she loses the next fight, it sounds like they're going to try to do some stuff to build 45. Mm-hmm. And if you make that fight with her versus Harrington, it's good on all fronts because either she wins and now you keep building that division or you got a new star in Kayla. Right. So it's kind of a win win for you there, you know, based on what happens. So, and <clears throat> if Pena retains that belt, you now have, Holly Holm, Aspen Ladd, uh, Irene Aldana, those are all interesting matchups to mm-hmm. see who gets that shot at Juliana Pena versus none of those against Nunez are interesting fights. Yeah, right. I think the only person that you don't have in that was, you know, Misha Tate still trying to make her comeback because I don't think they'll fight each other. You know, if I'm not mistaken, Misha Tate was her coach on on the Ultimate Fighter and they've trained together since. I know she was there cheering for her. I do know that they're friends. So you never know, but I don't think they would fight each other. Right. Especially, you know, I, I don't think Misha Tate's really going to be on a trajectory anytime soon for a title shot. I'm going to say she's so. only at seven right now, and she's coming off a loss, it's I a believe. generous seven. Very generous. <laughs> That's a name recognition seven. <laughs> okay, so... 
let's go ahead to the main event. So the main event, of course, was between uh, Charles Oliveira and Dustin Portier. Uh, Charles Oliveira uh, winning that title against Michael Chandler. And, of course, um, they were supposed to fight. Originally, they were trying to make that fight between Oliveira and Dustin Portier. But Dustin Portier chose to go for the money, which I would have, too, and uh, had a... Was that the third fight? Trilogy, right? With uh, Connor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the third fight. So they were one and one. This was the third fight, plus a big money fight. Red panty night? Correct. So he chose to go in that direction, which I would have, too. He won that fight, and then he got the title shot. Now, my first question and what was interesting to me before we dive into the fight first were the odds. They actually had Charles Oliveira as the underdog for this fight. And when I heard that, I thought it was weird because, one, I didn't see him as the underdog. Two, he had just bought a, a, beat a very formidable Michael Chandler. Three, he was on a 10-fight win streak, but yet he came in as the underdog. And so that was very interesting to me. But maybe people looked at his competition as being a little bit different than Dustin. So I wanted to get you all's input on what you think, what's the reason why he came in as an underdog, even though he was a champ in that fight? Uh, I'll go first. So I just think uh, the matchup, I feel like... Is this this was their first fight, correct? Against each other, yeah. yeah. Which is surprising. That's that's a that's, question I'll have later. Okay. Well, I just think the matchup, like, uh, I, I wanted Oliveira to win, but Poirier is a tough fighter. Like, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they're just their styles were different. So I think, uh, especially with Poirier coming off the win, they were just thinking he was just gonna kind of go in there take over the fight, which. Mm-hmm. I was nervous at some time because uh, Poirier is really strong. Like uh, yeah. before, He's got dynamite in his hands. Yeah, mm-hmm. before and even before uh, they got down to the ground and he ended up taking over control. Um, Oliveira tried to shoot and Poirier stuffed it. When I seen that, I was thinking, mm, this is <laughs> this is gonna be rough. But uh, I don't know. I think the reason it was, he was an underdog is just because of the matchup and the fighting styles. Poirier is a very dominant fighter and. Uh, they, I don't think they seen it going the way it did. No, I can, I can understand that. What, what's your thoughts, Slot? So I think the reason I had him at a, as an underdog going into that is I think a lot of people were under the impression, which maybe I was too, that Oliveira's road to the championship was maybe not the hardest. Mm-hmm. So he is on, I, I believe you said is what, 10-fight winning streak? I think that made number 11, if I'm not mistaken. Um. But when you look at those wins, a lot of those guys, you know, he beat Kevin Lee, who we've seen isn't necessarily the fighter that we used to hype him up to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a guy that's moved up from um, from featherweight. Right. You know, so he, he moved up from a lighter weight division. Ferguson was his first signature win, mm-hmm. which we've now seen Ferguson is having some trouble, trouble. So at first we think that's a signature win. Then you think maybe did Gaethje break him? Right. You, you know, mm-hmm. um, Michael Chandler, who we know is game and we know is tough, but is also now one and two in the UFC, you know, and I think it's one of those things where you look at it in hindsight and all of a sudden you say, uh, oh, maybe these fights that he were winning aren't the impressive fights that we one point they thought that we thought they were, especially when people 
with the pedestal that we put Khabib on, if you look at Dustin Poirier's run to that title, he's beat a lot of elite level guys with the one loss coming to Khabib, who's a fucking buzzsaw. Right. You know, so not only beating Connor, but basically taking that throne as not that Poirier is the signature guy, Mm -hmm. but he's kind of taken a lot of steam off the, the career that was Connor's um max max holloway in a great fight justin gaethje who's also now at that you know a top contender i just Mm -hmm. think when you look at the paths that they both took to that night i think a lot of people including myself were saying dustin poirier's really climbed a difficult mountain Mm -hmm. which Oliveira has over the course of his career Mm -hmm. but some of the more recent wins maybe didn't look as good in hindsight which clearly mma math doesn't work and that's a bullshit way to try and figure it out and we all know that but when you're trying to pick Mm -hmm. that's something you you know you got to consider see i'll tell you what's funny about that i I figured that was how people would look at it the issue is i don't think that the people you named that would fit and this is what i mean by that so if we take chandler Ferguson, Kevin Lee, and David Tamar, right? Which a lot of people forget, but he's a very skilled guy. He hasn't fought in a while. I don't know if he retired or what, right? And we look at that, to me, based on what these individuals, who they ended up being, Connor easily falls into any one of those guys, right? He's below Chandler and Ferg. I mean, what has Connor really done since moving up from 45? other than beating Eddie Alvarez, Mm -hmm. right? We look at Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker was a guy that I really thought was going to be somebody, right? But Dan Hooker, if I go and look at his loss, win, loss, loss, win, right? If we're not going off of name and we're going off of actually what these individuals are doing, it's not that different. Can't throw Khabib in because that's a loss. Mm Mm-hmm. You got Max. That was Max moving up to 55 after losing and then moving back down to 45, right? You got Alvarez, no longer in the UFC anymore. Once he got destroyed by Connor, was never the same guy. He's like a 500 fighter in, yeah. in one now. And then you got Gaethje. So out of that. But that that was Gaethje before he's at where he is now, right? Well, I'm a big fan of Gaethje. I always think Gaethje's dangerous. Right. Let me say that. But yes, he when Gaethje originally came in, he and we talked about this on one of the podcasts before. He had like a couple fight losing streak. Like he came in losing and then he hit his stride. Yep. So um but yeah, but just to say that, I don't think that's that different of a path other than bigger names, not based on what those individuals actually did. Well, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. And I think the results also speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there, do you think there could be something to the wars though? Like Dustin Poirier and not to say Charles Oliveira ain't been in any mm-hmm. wars, but he plays a different game. Yes. He's more of a jujitsu guy. He does a lot of grappling. Mm-hmm. Now he's been around a long time and mm-hmm. he's earned, you know, paid his dues and yeah. all that shit. But Dustin Poirier gets in a lot of firefights. Yes. So even when you look at both the Connor fights that he decisively won, 
he got clipped really hard by a guy that's a hard puncher in both of those fights. Yes. Um, you know, Max Holloway, he won that fight. If you look at the round, they were both beat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like I, how you always say they left some of their soul in the ring that day. Yeah. But right. now that goes to what me and DC were talking about before we even got started with this is like the basketball players. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Oliveira hasn't been in that many wars, but he still fights technical and he's able to get that done. Now mm-hmm. with Poirier being able to fight the way he does, it's spectacular. It's fun to watch, but yeah, that takes a beating. You, like you that, only have so many pieces of your soul to leave out there. Right. Right. Yeah. I think the issue is, and this is my only knock on, Portier, because let me say this. I like Portier a lot. I think he's very skilled. Portier, unfortunately, is one of those fighters I don't feel like shows enough of what he really can do in the cage. He's been comfortable with becoming a boxer. That's one of the reasons why he gave Connor some trouble in the third fight. He saw one thing, and if you notice, he started doing leg kicks, right? Typically, he's a boxer. He has really good wrestling. He has jujitsu. He has leg kicks. He likes to box. The issue with that now is you become a lot more predictable. In this fight in particular, I think the reason why Oliveira won is because he showed Portier so many different looks. Because especially in that first round or so, Portier was landing the cleaner punches, the harder punches. He dropped Oliveira a couple times. But every time something like that happens with Oliveira, you don't know what he's going to do. So he hurts Portier, and Portier is looking for another shot, and he jumps and hits him with a knee. Or he'll throw him against the cage, right? He's doing a lot of different things. When when Portier dropped him and Portier thought he was going to come in and pounce on him, the first thing he started doing was throwing crazy up kicks, right? He has so many things that it's going to make you hesitate instead of jumping right in on him. Portier, in my opinion, you know what you're getting with him every single fight. He's tough, he hits hard, and he has very, very good boxing. I think his boxing is underrated. People don't talk about it enough. They don't talk about him in a conversation with the Masvidals and some of those guys. He's absolutely up there with his boxing to me. But the problem is, it's just boxing. And that's also what gets you in a lot of those wars, because now it becomes not even a kickboxing match, just a straight-up boxing match, and who's the toughest. And that's going to take a lot of years off of your fighting life. For sure. So I think... When it comes to the boxing aspect, because my buddy Nick was just reminding me the other day that Poye is a legit black belt. He's got mm-hmm. a really good legit yeah. jujitsu black belt. Yeah. And I think that Poye might be a guy that at some point fell out of love with fighting, mm-hmm. but it's what he did. It's what he does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's he's married. He has children. He's got this great charity. Mm-hmm. And I think he may have fell out of love with fighting right when he was hitting his stride. Mm-hmm. And you can't really walk away. Now, we all know people that have been very successful at their job when they don't like it, mm-hmm. but that's tough to keep moving forward with. Right. I think boxing, I think he may have fell in love with boxing, mm-hmm. which kind of reinvigorated him to the sport. And people love to play with their new toy. 
Right. <laughs> you, you know, and it was working. Mm -hmm. And it worked really well. But I think many people that are newer fans or casual fans forget how versatile a fighter Dustin Poirier was that made him what he was when he was at 45 and when he was coming up. Mm -hmm. And it may have also been something that came along with uh, maybe like part of his weight training program or something. Cause we also seen that came along at the same time that he committed to 55 mm -hmm. and bulked up and changed his body type to fit that weight class. So maybe that's something when you're bulking and you're adding strength and, and, and size that the boxing piece went along with more for him. You know, he's got some mm -hmm. newfound power, but I think that, he fell in love with boxing, which kind of reinvigorated his, you know, love of fighting. But after his last couple losses, he doesn't look like a guy that's having a great time out there. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree with that. And you, you see it happen a lot. And the problem is once you lose it, it's not that easy to get back because it becomes a mental thing. I think that was one of Woodley's biggest downfalls. And uh, we're not even going to talk about Woodley on this uh, podcast because he just devastated my heart this past weekend. So we're going to bypass that. <laughs> but you have a lot of these guys with, you know, great wrestling backgrounds, great jujitsu backgrounds. And all of a sudden they decide they are just a boxer. And then you have a guy like Oliveira that says, I'm going to use every weapon. I'm not the strongest. I don't have the best chin, anything like that. But I'm going to mix it up. And every time you come in this cage, you don't know what you're going to get, and you're going to have to actually beat me and take it. And I think that means something. Um, and I just don't think, and to your point, it may have been as simple as finally falling in love with something else. But even if you, let's get Portier back with doing that low calf kick and give him a few high kicks and a threat of a takedown. He's a whole different fighter, and I think he beats Oliveira. Right now, he's talking about moving up to 170, which is a bad move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those guys are way too big. All of them wrestle. It's, I just don't think it's a good look for him. They all mix it up well. I just think it's a bad look for him, especially as you mentioned, he spent most of his career at 45. Mm -hmm. So, well, and that's something I think, uh, like how you're talking about, he just doesn't love it no more. Is he's tired of going through the stuff he has to do to get to that weight he's tired of losing and all that stuff so he's like you know what i'm just gonna keep trying different things and you see people on their way out that stuff they do is like, well i'm gonna stick to this weight class i'm gonna try something different but i think uh yeah if he does that like he's gonna struggle for sure now i have an answer as you know a lot well can i say something real yeah quick? go ahead because you know i have an answer right so I've said on this podcast before that it's never a good sign when the people start jumping up and down in weight classes based mm -hmm. on losses. Mm -hmm. um, and Poye has always been an example, him and Masvidal, that I used of people that went to a weight class, took their lumps, committed to it, and then started to have well. success there. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a terrible sign for a fighter that I really, really like that after that loss, the first thought process is maybe let's go 170. Mm -hmm. So we've seen it with Cowboy Cerrone. We've seen it with a number of fighters. Usually what happens is you go up to weight class. So Poirier mm -hmm. goes up to 170. Now instead of fighting, you know, 
five, four, you know, these top five guys, all of a sudden you're going to bounce back to where you're fighting guys that are, you know, 15, 14, Mm -hmm. and he's going to look great. Mm -hmm. You maybe get you a couple wins, Mm -hmm. but the second you start moving up, like you said, these guys are too big and you Mm -hmm. have the skill set when, and the speed advantage all of a sudden doesn't make as much. Right. But he might not be trying to go to 170 because he wants to run at the title. He, I think there's a chance because he mentioned he's now failed at two attempts to become a world champion. Mm-hmm. He might just be comfortable with the fact he, he might've had to decide within himself. I'm never going to be the champion, mm-hmm. but I don't want to cut weight and I could still make some money. I can go for, I can angle for a Nate Diaz fight. I can angle for the Connor rematch at 170 since I won two of them. Mm-hmm. I can angle for, you know, you know, I don't know, like a guy like a cowboy, some of these lighter guys that are willing to bounce up there. So I think it might not be a matter of him trying to make a run at 170. It might be him thinking, I can squeeze out two or three more good fights mm-hmm. that can that are interesting fights that people want to see. Now I'm not talking about just cash grabs that you will make money, but still fights people want right. to see. And I'm not cutting the weight because both those fights mm-hmm. you can do Nate Diaz, Connor McGregor, even say he wins both those fights. You could do a Colby Covington because they got a beef at 170. He doesn't want to fight Kobe. Listen, listen I, I don't like Kobe the person, but as I say many times, I separate the person in MMA from the fighter. Kobe is an absolute beast. Mm -hmm. I know they trained together before at ATT, and Kobe would absolutely destroy him. Yeah, he don't, he don't, he don't. If he tapped to, uh, you know, what happened with Khabib and what just happened with Oliveira, I could just imagine the mauling that Kobe would give him being a much bigger man. But to your point, I, I, I agree. I could see him doing that. I could see him trying to do a Nate Diaz type of role. This is the issue. And this goes into my answer as to what he should do. The answer that everybody knows, stop fighting for a while and go grapple, which by the way, (laughs) by the way, they just had a fight pass. What is it called? The fight pass, uh, the fight pass invitational inaugural grappling match Mm -hmm. where they take, all all these people that are under the Fight Pass banner, so you know you got a lot of small regional shows and everything like that to sign these contracts with Fight Pass. Plus, if you get an invite, it could be UFC fighters and everything like that, all to have these big grappling matches. Now, why do I think that that would be important and dope for uh, for Dustin? One, the biggest reason why people like Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz stock stays so high you're not watching them get brutalized back to back to back even if they lose multiple in a row it's spaced out they give you time for their personality to go out there for them to make beefs for people to say no i want to see this for people to believe right it's like if it's a guy that went out on a win streak like uh, went out on a losing streak so let's say after anderson silva lost his three in a row he quits fighting all of a sudden, he becomes this jujitsu guy and all this, which in the world of jujitsu, because so much is tournaments, your record really doesn't matter. It's big matches and stuff that happens. And then three years later, he comes back. He can come back as a title fight and make big money because it's enough time in between where people are like, no, I think he still has it. Right. 
when you stay in the game and you keep losing, all of that that credibility, that, it, it all goes away. Yep. So in my opinion, and this would help Dustin because maybe he can bring back his love of grappling and mixing it up. If he loves boxing, he's not going to stop boxing, right? But now he can get into grappling and everything like that again. So now in an actual MMA fight, he has a chance to move it in more directions than what he would have even thought to do before. So in my opinion, that's where his next move should be. He's not hurting for money right now. He's made millions. He's still under contract, so it's not like he's cut. Take some time off. Go grapple. Do some stuff like that. Get some of the love back. Stop taking punches to the head. And then have a big argument in two years with Connor or Nate or whoever else. And then come back and get a big, big payday. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Bucks? It's a, a well thought out plan. Uh, big fan of the grappling. Mm-hmm. I think uh, if he does that, that's something that could work. Like, I don't know. Yeah, just kind of disappear. Let people think and sit on it mm-hmm. and pop back up. But will he do that knowing him? Probably 100% not. no. <laughs> No. He's he'll go up to one seventy, get manhandled, mm-hmm. and then slowly disappear. So I have several thoughts on several different things here. So what a lot of people don't know about DC is, even though he's a tech guy, he is an elite level salesman that just chooses not to do it. <laughs> and I think all he, false accusations. He may have just made one of his uh boldest sales pitches ever for <laughs> grappling when we just took a guy that we just clearly discovered may have fell in love with boxing like yeah he should grapple mm-hmm. yes <laughs> dc like, came in with a common theme today <laughs> nunez the like big grappling theme he had a game plan he knew what he's doing absolutely so okay we all know that joe rogan is now a government shill who accepts money from the cia to discredit conspiracy theories everybody knows that it's out there this is a fact yeah um which makes perfect sense we get that so dc is actually a ufc shill that went deep deep cover to build a podcast from the ground up Mm mm-hmm to promote their fucking fight pass grappling. Yes. Because no matter what we talk about or what direction it goes, at some point it ends with the people are we talking that we're talking about should do grappling tournaments. Whether they're still tire co- title contenders, whether they've been retired for years. Yes. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they should go into these grappling contests. I cannot confirm nor deny that I've ever taken any money from Eddie Bravo that may have had like, you know, something about Zufa back in the day or something about uh what's the company that owns UFC now? W what is it? Yeah. W-E or something? Whatever it is, I've never seen any checks with those <laughs> names on them delivered by Eddie Bravo himself. So, I just want to say that. So I think we found the missing link between Joe Rogan <laughs> and you. Eddie Bravo is the shill finder. <laughs> He'll find people that will shill for money. <laughs> No, but yeah, I, I just think um, I think these guys are, are so skilled in so many areas and a lot of them don't get a chance to show it. And partially it's because of this is how they make their money. Not understanding that you can still build another way to make money. And especially if you're a fighter that takes a lot of punishment, shots to the head, 
you need to give that brain a break. Mm -hmm. I remember back when um, Freddie Roach talked about when Pacquiao had gotten knocked out by Marquez. He went and grappled. (laughs) That would have been great. I think Pacquiao could do it. Absolutely. But he made Pacquiao, he absolutely banned him from the gym and made him take a full year off without even training. Because he said, when you get knocked out or you take certain damage like that, it takes a long time for the brain to heal, especially when you've been in wars. You need to do nothing. Just you moving around and hitting mitts and things of that sort shifts the brain some. So I think some of these things are really important for the people repairing themselves and being better coming back. I think that Freddie Roach is one of these guys that all jokes aside, when he speaks about traumatic brain injury you and head listen. trauma, we should shut the fuck up and listen yeah. and really consider what he has to say. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, he knows what he's talking about from experience, personal experience, working with people. And, um, and that's where we mess up is not listening to these people that do fucking when it's right. When it comes to the head trauma and stuff like that, like it's not something you can just Google and read about and, like no this you got to be there and experience it and like you said actually working with these people and figuring out like it's kind of like a science like he's mm-hmm. he's got it down so yeah i want to say one more thing and then i have a question before we wrap it up but um and this goes to something you said earlier bugs i'm actually surprised that Oliveira and portier never fought early on um now of course portier is from the wec lineage that came over, uh, you know, was rolled over into the UFC. But they actually came right around the same time to the UFC. Dustin came in 2011. Oliveira came in 2010. Both of them were fighting at 45. Um, They fought, you know, quite a few similar guys. Both fought Miller, Holloway, Cub Swanson, Jonathan Bookins. But at some point in time, they were never matched up, even with kind of you know, fighting similar guys, beating similar guys and everything like that. So I wanted to ask, do you think it was one of those things where just timing wasn't there or was they on a different trajectory? What do you think it took 10 years for this fight to happen? I'm not mad because I think it's the perfect time based on where they were, but why do you think it took 10 years for this fight to happen? Um, looking at it, it's kind of the same answer as why I think Oliveira was the underdog. I think they're just matchups. So like, um, matchup wise, they didn't really f- like, f- like fit well together mm-hmm. and there wasn't a money fight. So when they were up and coming and they came in together, like, it's just something like throw these two together, they'd be fighting to fight. Like the UFC didn't see it as a good game plan, I guess. But now mm-hmm. with the timing of it, like they're both pretty big names, they get reputable, um, I'd say they're kind of at the peak of their career. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it was inevitable, like matchup or not, it's time to put them together. So I think, uh, it was a good money fight and, uh, no, that makes sense. I definitely agree. And I think it, it's, it's weird when you said that I had to double check and not, not to double check. Cause I do believe yeah. you, but just mm-hmm. looking at the course of fights and the trajectory of their careers, it is bizarre that over, 20 fights, 10 years, two weight classes that mm-hmm. they missed each other. But I think Bugs kind of hit it on the head. I think a lot of it is as they were coming up because of their different uh, styles or mm-hmm. matchups, it never made sense at those time as they're both guys that would kind of 
kind of put a run together, then stumble a little bit, then put mm-hmm. it back together. So it was just another, never that time. But yeah, at some point when you both rise to the cream of the top crop, then you take the styles out and the best has to fight the best, whether they're both strikers, whether they're both whatever it is. It's crazy that they had that many common matchups, mm-hmm. but yeah, just career trajectories. They be like that sometimes, you know, when, uh, <laughs> like 10 years ago when they came in the sport, me as a 10 year old wasn't thinking why is Oliver never fighting Poirier <laughs> but so that that's something I didn't I didn't know about that wasn't anything I thought of I just kind of figured oh yeah they matched up but hearing that that is kind of interesting and uh, a good question yeah no I, I definitely agree with that so last questions next fights so I want to know who do you all think of course the Nunez um uh, Pena, we know what the next fight is for that. They're already booking the rematch. Unless something happens where one of them gets hurt or something, that's their next fight. But for uh, both Dustin and Oliveira, who do you think should be the next matchup? So they, I believe for Oliveira, I think they said Gaethje was next, but it's the UFC. So that's not set in stone. Who would you like to see next matchup for him and next matchup for Dustin? Um, I think for Oliveira, it has to be Gaethje. Gaethje earned that shot. He probably should have had it over Chandler. Um, mm-hmm. he He's in that same category with Dustin Poirier, where he's on this impressive run. He hits that could be buzzsaw, and all of a sudden, he's out. That's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, he probably broke Ferg. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, yeah. that's an impressive yeah. feat. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so I think he has to have that fight. But I think the Islam-Oliveira fight... Mm-hmm. there's your grappling match, but they just have to put gloves on. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. they're both great, great grapplers, but I think Oliveira right now, he could be the master, possibly the greatest ever we've seen in the UFC of that kind of anaconda style of jujitsu where mm-hmm. he just, just keeps coming and he works slow. And if mm-hmm. you make one mistake, it gets tighter and it gets tighter yep. and it never goes anywhere. I think he could be the master of that style. Mm-hmm. And the, the Dagestanis, they kind of do that, but just a more brutal version. Yes. Oliveira makes it look beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. it's all technique. It's all slick. It's, but they do that with a more push pull, brutal looking style. Mm-hmm. And I would really like to see how that plays out against each other. So Islam, I like him. I think the issue is kind of goes back to what we were talking about as to why people think, uh, or had Dustin over Oliveira as far as the favorite in that fight. I just don't think Islam has fought anybody yet that would allow him to jump Gaethje. And, you know, that was part of the argument. Everybody seems to hate DC now and questions his commentary and everything like that, which I think he's number two, second to Joe Rogan. I think his commentary is great. But one of those fights started with, of course, you know, Khabib and the whole Dagestani team are basically team AKA and those are his guys. Right. And he speaks up for his guys. Everybody's bias, period. If you're a wrestling head, you're going to go for the wrestler. You're a jujitsu guy. You're going to go for the jujitsu guy. If you are, uh, uh, you know, a, a kickboxer, Muay Thai, you're going to go for the Muay Thai guy. 
So, Especially in a sport like fighting, it's, it's very hard not to be biased. Absolutely. And so him throwing that out there, him and Gaethje kind of had a, a hit but online, but I agree with Gaethje. I understand that Islam is on this streak, but comparatively speaking, he hasn't fought anywhere near the competition or beat that Gaethje has. I feel like if Gaethje were to fight Oliveira, it's a bat. Like, that's going to end well for Oliveira. Like, I don't think Gaethje's going to have a good shot in that. Um, with Poirier, I don't really know much. And as a casual fan, I feel what a casual fan would say is I'm biased. I just want to see him fight Max Holloway again. Mm. That's a. Uh, I don't think Max coming up again, though. And I definitely don't think he's going down. He's talking about going up. Um, I, w- I would love to see for for Oliveira. I definitely think he should fight Gaethje. I think that's an exciting fight. I don't know which direction it would go. Gaethje's a big boy. Oliveira's not a big 55 at all. He probably still can make 45 today. Right? Huh? right? He's looked bigger in the last couple fights. As- he did, but ex- will you look at him next to Dustin, who's not a big 55? He didn't look big at all, you know? And, and definitely he didn't look like he's ready to take shots from the big 55ers, right? But um, for uh, Dustin, I would actually like to see one of the fights that you mentioned, Locke, and he mentioned. I would love to see him versus Nate Diaz at 170. It's a boxing match. We know that they are both going to go out there and box. Um, Just don't go to the ground with Nate Diaz, and let's see an exciting fight with a lot of curse words and middle fingers. Well, as a <laughs> as a Nate fan, even though Poirier would be coming up and it'd be a smaller fighter at that class, he throws punches with dynamite in his hands, mm-hmm. and I don't want to see that happen to Nate. Now, I know <laughs> he has a strong chin. He'll be able to stand in there mm-hmm. and fight. That's not a fight I'm wanting to see. If they do, I hope Nate is willing to take it to the ground. I don't think Nate... I don't think Nate is ever willing to fight a fighter that doesn't have hands. I Not agree. the new Nate. Maybe back in the day when he was really trying to get a title and go for a run and he just wanted to, who's next, right? But new Nate, I mean, he fought Masvidal. Arguably the, the best boxer in MMA, right? Um, and, of course, it didn't end well for him, right. but... In his mind and with his box and everything like that, I think those are the fights that excite him. So I think he legitimate. He literally said at one of his post-fight interviews when he was younger and coming up, like after choking out like the dentist and you mm-hmm. know a couple of those guys in a row. He said, "I'm sick of fighting these uh, so-called black belts or something mm-hmm. like so-called jujitsu guys." And I think mm-hmm. those are the fights he wants. I think for Poirier, the fight's probably Nate Diaz, and I think that's the fight the UFC will make because we know with one with one fight under contract, the UFC doesn't want to give Nate the Connor fight because right. they're scared to death that he beats Connor, mm-hmm. and then now his stock soars and he leaves and goes somewhere else, and right. Connor's now even lower. So right. they don't want to allow him. They'll let him do it if he resigns <laughs> and stays there. So I don't think they're willing to do that. I do think they would be willing to let him fight Poirier, mm-hmm. which is a fight they're probably more confident Poirier can win. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they'd rather send Nate on a loss, and they don't want to give him a good matchup if he's not going to re-up. Yeah, plus it, they can make some money. And to your point as to you know what you said he, he mentioned, 
um, even if you look at the Connor fight, uh, the first one, when he talks about that, it's like, you know, all these guys basically say they're stand-up fighters, but as soon as they get hit, they become wrestlers, <laughs> you know? So it's like he'd rather stand up and bang, but, you know, we know that his his jujitsu is probably the best part of his game, you know? So, yeah, I would agree. Well, the last but, thing I want to say about that, mm-hmm. I think one thing that Dustin Poirier has to learn, because you had said earlier about how he goes away and grapple, how mm-hmm. people with Nate, they don't forget about him. With Connor, they don't forget about him because they go mm-hmm. away for a while, then they come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not important just to go away for a while. You also have to deny ever losing any fight <laughs> ever the entire time. There's always an excuse. <laughs> yeah. So even if you lose, wait a year to come back and never acknowledge losing. You, you have never lost. Be, you're always the best. You're the champ. You're the people's champ. Everybody else sucks. Yes. <laughs> Learn that, Dustin. Stop acknowledging your fucking losses. You've yes. never lost. Never. I agree. So before we wrap this up, um, I want to thank again Bugs from coming on. Uh, we haven't had a special guest in a while, so I want to thank him. And any last words from you, Bugs? Uh, I appreciate you having me, man. It was fun to be here. It was nice to actually sit down and pick your guys' brains. I feel like uh, when it comes to fighting, you guys are the most knowledgeable ones I know. I'm stuck out there with drunk 21-year-olds watching <laughs> fights, yelling at the TV. So it is a... Uh, it is nice to sit down and just kind of talk about this. So appreciate you having me. Every time at B Dubs. <laughs> any last words from you, Locke? No, uh, it's good topic. It's nice doing this in person. And the exact situation Bugs just described is why you exactly told me you stopped going to Buffalo Wild yes. to watch the fight. Yes, this is true. Well, thank you all for listening. This wraps up another episode of the Fat Boy MMA podcast. Come back, listen again. That wraps up another Fatboy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at fatboymma55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on one of our social media platforms. You can find the links to all of our socials by going to links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode.